teaches. And that God has created a people and wants us to have a stake in what it means to live as the people of God and be led by God. And so we have, uh, we've talked about what an elder is. We talked about what a deacon is as we're in that process. We talked about what a pastor is. And each of those times, we've looked at God's Word to give us the meaning and advice and pathway for those different offices. We've talked about this yesterday in our membership class, um, that there's only a few things that are essential for you to know that you should know God. You have to know that you're a sinner in need of grace alone. You have to believe that Jesus Christ was the God-man. You have to believe that His, his crucifixion was enough and that He rose again from the, from the grave on that third day. Amen? These are things that we have you to believe that this Word is the Word of God, but there really isn't that many things, ten or so things, that you need to believe. But the Bible has so much more information in it. Part of that is what is church life supposed to look like? How, how are we supposed to live together and love each other? And the specific aspect of that that we're looking at is church leadership. And today we're going to be talking about something that mothers, for example, do a lot of, and that's discipline. Church discipline. For some of you, this may be the first time that you've heard those two words put together, church and discipline. What does that even look like? Is that something that we're supposed to do at all? And we're going to see through two passages of Scripture that we're going to look at uh, this morning the reality of what that is, church discipline. Thinking about this morning and, and uh, Mother's Day, and one of the things that we do is we try to figure out all kind of ways to show um, the mothers in our life how much we love them. We cook them dinner or buy them gifts, get them flowers, all kind of different things. I heard the conversations before, and I'm sure I'll hear the conversations after about how that's going to go today to express our love. But I would think that love is actually one of the most confused words that we use today. Would you agree with that? It seems that we define love in so many ways. How do you love someone? What does it mean to love someone? What does love feel like? Well, certainly it feels like you're honored, like you have worth you're showing someone uh, affection, concern, even adoration. What does that look like? It looks like the fact that you want to listen to them. You want to be with them. Uh, you, you want to take care of them. There's, there's all, you want to buy them things. But, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, there's also a deeper aspect to love. All of those things are very legitimate ways to love someone. But a, a deeper way, and, and I would argue sometimes a more expensive way to love someone is to tell them when they're wrong. To tell them where something in their life is happening that's going to hurt them. Or that they're hurting other people, or that they've hurt you. Okay, To love someone, as Jesus said, just like you would want to be loved to care for them even when it hurts you, to do what is best for them, to say what is best for them, even when they don't agree with you. You know the most famous verse in all the Bible, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What's the point of that? Is that love is, is expensive. It cost God a lot. He had to suffer greatly for our good. 
And today we're going to be talking about one of the deepest forms of love, a particularly difficult one to talk about today, and that is church discipline. In other words, loving someone enough to tell them that they're in sin. Loving someone enough to plead with them to stop their sin. That's what church discipline is. And we're going to look at it in uh, the Bible. The question that I want you to be asking yourself this morning, it's a hard question to ask. Do you love people enough to tell them about their sin? Do you love people enough to tell them about their sin? Do you love them enough to plead with them to stop? It doesn't feel like it when it's coming out of your mouth, and it probably doesn't feel like it when you're on the receiving end of it. But there are very few deeper forms of love than that. For you to care so much about someone else that you know in pointing out something that's killing them, you're risking the very relationship itself. Y'all track it with me? Church discipline. I got in your bulletin, if you'll open it up uh, this morning, it'd probably be easier. If you want to use your Bible, go ahead and do that. But I'm going to read uh, these two passages. Hang with me. There's several verses here. Uh, one of them, uh, the Matthew passage, is Jesus explaining this process, how you should go about it, how you should go about confronting a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ in their sin. And then the first passage, this Corinthians passage, is an example of it, what it looks like in a church context with a very flagrant sin. Okay? All right, so that's the context of both of these passages. Please give your attention now to God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud? Shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and have put, at, and, and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. You don't, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival now with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunker or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. 
But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Friends, this is the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord, as we consider your word this morning, we ask for your help. Uh, God, we ask for your clarity. Uh, Lord, I pray specifically for me uh, that you would keep me from error. And we pray collectively together, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here's a big idea this morning. Church discipline is the process of bringing someone back into relational harmony with God and the church. Church discipline is a process of bringing someone back into relational harmony with God and the church. I don't know if y'all remember, several of you were here on Christmas Eve, uh, when we had the Christmas Eve service, so Francis's daughter and son-in-law, Blair, and, and came and played for us. And if you were here, it was incredible. I think there were, I actually do think there were several people who were almost moved to tears. It was, really was fantastic. I wanted to stop. Uh, and, and probably none of y'all, you're like, Matthew, preach another day, right? Let these guys keep playing music, right? It was incredible how well they synced up together and how the, 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 the notes flowed. But what would have happened if one of the notes on the viola was, if one of the strings, rather, was out of tune? What would it have sounded like then? It actually would have changed from being beautiful and pleasant and awe-inspiring to atrocious. And you would, have, you would have been begging to leave that moment when the music is over because the string was out of tune. Now how do you fix the problem? You address the string. You address the one that's out of tune and you bring it back into relational harmony. And that's a great illustration about what church discipline or discipline in any case is like is the goal is to bring the music back, to bring the beauty back, and to address something that's out of tune and bring it back in. The loving thing to do is to address the string that's out of tune so that the string can do what it was made to do. Make beautiful music. But this is something that's actually really difficult in our day, I think particularly, because uh, we don't like this aspect of people getting involved in our life. I think that's been true for all of human history, but as particularly in the environment when we're encouraged in many different aspects to tolerate the behavior that everyone has at all times. And the question that we have to ask is, is that actually a loving thing to do? And here's how we're going to look at it this morning. We're going to look at the reason for church discipline, the process of church discipline, and the goal or the blessing of church discipline. The reason, the process, and the goal. Okay, first off, the reason for church discipline. Discipline is a simple thing to understand in its concept. It's punishment that comes at the result of disobedience, right? That's what discipline is in a variety of different contexts. Church discipline is similar, but there are two types. In the broadest sense, Church discipline is what we do in the life of the church to help each other be in accord with what God says about how we should live, right? We do that with our friends and neighbors, even who are not in, in the church. Perhaps some of you are here today. And one of the things that we want for you 
is for you to come into accord with God through Jesus Christ. Sinners like we all are serving under God. So in, in one sense, there is an informative aspect of church discipline where the preaching, the teaching, the prayer, the corporate worship, the accountability relationships that we have with each other is an aspect of helping each other love and serve the Lord. In fact, I would argue that the first line of church discipline is brotherly and sisterly love in Christ. Having someone who's a mentor or a discipler of you who can say, listen, I love you, and I'm just coming to you to say, this is an aspect of your life, before it reaches these higher levels that we're going to talk about in a minute. But typically, when we think about church discipline, we don't think about the informative aspect of church discipline, which is a very broad category. We think about the very specific category of what I'll call corrective church discipline. When there is obvious sin in someone's life, and church discipline is the act of correcting that sin in the life of the body, which includes, if there's not a willingness to repent, which just means to turn away, stop doing the sin, excommunication or expulsion from the church. Now those are words, excommunication, expulsion from the church, which immediately make us bristle inside. What I want to show you is it's actually a process potentially one of the biggest processes of love that we can have for a friend to bring them back into accord with God the Father. And so that is what church discipline is. It is really the other side of membership. What membership is, is being recognized by the church as being a Christian. There is one requirement to being a member of King's Church or a church. It's being a Christian and wanting to live in accord with the church and with God's Word. We just went through that. We're about to go through that process again with some new church members. And what the leadership of the church is doing is saying, as best we can tell, we can't tell hearts. We don't know what you're thinking inside. But as best as we can tell, you are a Christian, and you, have, you, have, you confess that with your mouth, and as best as we can see with your life. Okay? The other side of church membership is church discipline, where we are saying... There is no evidence. The evidence of your life is actually refuting the claim of your mouth. And we have to expel you because you're giving no evidence that you are truly a follower of Christ. Okay, That's what church discipline is. Church discipline in its final stages is the exclusion of a person who does not live up to the vow of I will follow Jesus Christ as Lord. The question that we're asking ourselves is, do we love people enough to tell them about their sin and compel them to stop? Seeing a friend in sin and refusing to confront them or refusing to confront them when they sin against you is like watching a friend drink poison and refusing to say anything. It's watching him uncork the bottle skull and crossbones and tip it up and sitting idly by church discipline is a process in the best of your ability of ripping the bottle from his hand and saying not today not while i'm looking okay now he can knock you down and get the bottle back but you've done your best to save him from the poison sin is that poison the reason for church discipline is because living a life of sin makes a mockery of God. It makes a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
If Jesus Christ came, if God had to come down and take on flesh, if God had to, stay, had, to, had to hang on a cross, if God had to, in the form of Jesus Christ, endure the wrath of God, then sin is that expensive. And if you're going to call yourself someone who's washed in that blood and continue to live in that sin that Jesus had to pay for, you're making a mockery of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the cross. That's why church discipline is important. Living a life of unrepentant sin makes a mockery of the holiness of God. Joshua opened up the service saying, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness and righteousness. By living a life of unrepentant, excuse me, unrepentant sin and calling yourself a Christian, you're making mockery of that. Living a life of unrepentant sin makes a mockery of the wrath of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Living a life of unrepentant sin makes a mockery of the church and the mission of God. God calls us a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. But if we refuse to walk according to His way, then we make a mockery of that declaration. Church discipline is a loving warning. Hear me say this. Church discipline is a loving warning that God will not be mocked. Church discipline is not about vengeance. It's not about us getting back at someone. It's in the best of our ability trying to prevent someone from feeling the vengeance of God Almighty. Okay? So, that's what, uh, that's what uh, church discipline is. And church discipline is necessary for the re those reasons, and it's also necessary in conclusion on this point, because we as Christians still sin. Yeah, we've been freed from the power of sin, right? We, we have been declared righteous in God's sight, and Jesus paid for every one of the sins, even the ones you're going to commit in five minutes. Okay? We're not free from its presence. It's still in us. There's a beautiful chapters of Scripture in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 where, where Paul talks about that battle that he has with his old man and battling sin. That's one of the reasons why it exists. And any relationship flourishes when there's some type of correction. Parent to child, husband to wife, friends, boss, co-worker, society, and criminal. All of those relationships need correction in order to flourish. Point number two, the process of church discipline. Remember, church discipline is the process of bringing someone back into relational harmony with God and the church. So what does that process look like? If you turn in your Bibles to the, uh, the first, the, actually the second passage in your bulletin, if you're using that, Matthew chapter uh, 18, I'm going to go through what that process looks like on an individual level. It begins by saying, if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault just between the two of you. In other words, you are your brother's keeper. And you owe it to him, in this situation, to love him. And that you are in the business of reconciliation. You don't have an option of avoiding people. And that's our favorite thing to do, isn't it? Whenever there's conflict, I know I'm tempted to do it all the time. When there's conflict between you and someone else, the easiest thing to do is say, Oh well, relationship's done there. Just going to move on. Got to find a new friend. Right? right? And then you start running out of friends. Somebody's got to do something about this, you know what I mean? And you've got, to, you've got to go to do the hard work of reconciliation. It's interesting, as a Christian, that's what Christ did. He did the hard work of reconciling us to God. And then, in 2 Corinthians, he says, If anyone is in Christ, he's in a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Praise God, amen? And then he says this, 
All this is from God, who is reconciled to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So one of our main goals as Christians is to help people see Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. And then another one of our goals is to be the kind of community where we reconcile with each other. Okay? Having that ministry of reconciliation. How do we do that? Well, we do it humbly, first of all. Okay? Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus says, First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I had a speck in my eye yesterday. I was cutting the grass. Just a tiny speck. And I was dying. I felt like I was dying. You know what I mean? My eyes are watering. It's turned red. i got to run inside and get the thing out. It's awful when you get a little tiny speck in your eye. If your brother has a speck in his eye, it would be good of you to remove it. But you can't do it if you can't see. So the first thing you have to do is humbly go to it. And then also, Matt, this passage says, do it privately and respectfully. Treat them with honor even though they've sinned against you. Okay? Privately and respectfully. Because we all know when you add an audience, things get worse real quick. If you've ever corrected someone in public, they didn't hear anything you said. They just heard the fact that everybody else heard about it. You tracking with me? Like, you guys have been there before, right? There's been several times when I've been confronted by someone, and I was so embarrassed that I was confronted that I forgot all about the fact that I wronged this person. I got angry because of the way it was handled. And so Jesus says here, do it privately. That they will listen to you better, potentially, if they don't have to defend themselves in front of someone else. Okay? Do it private. Do it humbly. You come to them and say, listen, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner just like you are. I'm this private, it's humble. I'm coming to you and saying that this is this is what this is reality. And then it says, if he listens to you, you have won a brother. In other words, there's a lot at stake here. Sin is expensive. Okay? There's poison in his life. And you are a tool. Think about it this way. I know it's hard. You're a tool to bring this person back to God. Okay? Level two, if the person doesn't listen to you. Level two is take someone with you. Uh, this brings into the picture the almost a legal court. The verse that's quoted here is Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not be sufficient against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with the offense he committed. One only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So if you're going to court and there's one witness, he could be lying. So you need two or three witnesses to prove, to convict you of that, according to Deuteronomy. Okay? And so in this aspect, one of the reasons you take someone with you is two, the testimony of two may help convince your friend who sinned against you, but you also may be wrong in your accusation. And that third party coming in can help with that aspect of it. So there's a two-way there. There's powers and numbers, and your accusation might be off base in the first place. Right? Okay, so that's level two. Okay, going to them, and again, remember the goal. is The process is not to settle a grievance, but to bring back relational harmony between God and the church. Level three, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, there's patience, and there's so much patience and grace in this whole process of church discipline. It's not something you jump to immediately. 
right? There's, there you give it time, you give it prayer, there's, there's seasons. And what we, he means by tell it to the church, uh, there's, different, uh, there's different opinions on when you do that between different churches. But in the Presbyterian system and what we do at King's Church is the, the next contact for level three would be the session of the church. Uh, the leaders would then go with that brother or sister with you and help plead that person. And they might even officially, the word is used as censure or call them in and then lovingly beg them to turn away from their sin. The most common time, the times that I've seen this in my life is in the case of adultery, for example, where you bring in the offending party and beg with them, beg them. Okay? You've gone through the process laid out here in this passage individually, bring a brother, and then eventually you tell it to the church. And by that, we mean the, the leaders of the church. Okay? And then level four, okay, level four is if he refuses to listen to you, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. A pagan or a tax collector who hasn't repented of their sins belongs outside of the church, okay? Um, in other words, this is what we call excommunication, or kicking someone out of membership of the church, or expulsion. It's a declaration that when, well, by saying, by the way that you're living, we have no evidence that you're actually a Christian. By the way that you're living, we have no evidence that you're actually a Christian. Um, how do you treat a pagan or a tax collector if you're a Christian? You share the gospel with them. You, you want to see them changed, Right? But if it's someone who's claiming to be a Christian and living completely differently, right, then, then, then the goal is you break off that fellowship with them so that they might return to God. Okay? All right? So there's an example here. The next example we'll look at is this example of the 1 Corinthians 5 passage, that first one that you saw uh, in, in, in the passage there. And in this passage, there's flagrant sin. A man has his mother's wife. This is either a stepmother or incest. This is a terrible sin. And the reality is the Corinthians refuse to address it. In fact, they are proud of their level of tolerance over the matter. They're just super gracious in the way that they're dealing with this, in their opinion, their way for it. But, they, but Paul comes and says that God hates it. That Jesus died for it. And that God doesn't, listen to this, God does not tolerate your sin. He paid for it. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God does not tolerate your sin. He paid for it. Okay, it was offensive and he paid the price. That's the glory of the gospel. Okay, and here, the, the, this is the problem. They would refuse to address and they're proud of their tolerance. There is a healthy level of tolerance that we should exercise as Christians. Healthy tolerance is living with an aspect of someone that's not your preference, okay? Living with an aspect of someone that's not your preference. I'm going to tolerate that, okay? That's what we should do. But the key to healthy tolerance is that it's an aspect of their life that's not harmful to them or others. When it's harmful to them or others, the loving thing to do is not tolerate it any longer, Okay? All right, so the solution is that Paul calls for the practice of church discipline. That, the, that this gentleman is confronted, and he asks the church to expel them from membership in the church, and in this specific aspect, um, even association, not even to eat with him. Why? Because you just want to be mean? Is that why? 
Now the goal is, please, friend, come back. You're drinking poison. We don't want you to put that bottle to your mouth anymore. This is not how God intends you to live for your human flourishing. Do we love people enough to say that? Do we love people enough to go through the process? I called someone this week who I hadn't seen in worship in a long time and just said, we miss you, and I, want, I, I, I haven't seen you in a long time. And she said to me, you know, I, I've never had anybody call me before in a church context and say, you need to come back and we miss you. And she was honored by that. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's not pestering. It's, it's bringing back into harmony. There is a danger in not practicing church discipline that the church will be infected with sin and there will be no evidence of the grace of God among us. There's a difference between our relationship with people who aren't Christians and sin and our relationship with unrepentant sinners who still claim to be Christian. I hope you noticed that in the passage. Is that Paul says, listen, I'm not talking about the people who aren't Christians. Because if you refuse to associate with them, you'd have to leave the world because they're everywhere. Right? He's saying if someone is living in deliberate sin and still claims the name of Christ, those are the people that you don't need to associate with. For their good. For their good. Okay? But association with people who are, who are sinning and don't claim the name of Christ, associate with them, win them to the Lord. Okay? Just for clarity there. There's a difference between public and private sin, and then I'll, we'll move on to the final point. Okay? You'll see in, in Matthew chapter 18, there's a private sin between two individuals, and it's handled one way. Very slowly, deliberately, individuals. A public sin that happens in the open, and everybody's watching it, okay, was handled where the church got in at an earlier step. Matthew 18 lays out the process of a private sin between just two people or a few. And then 1 Corinthians 5 deals with a very public sin. In the private sin, there's a one-on-one rebuke, then there's a two-on-one rebuke, then the elders get involved, and then the process continues. In the public sin, the elders almost immediately get involved because of the nature of the sin. Okay? All right? Um... So then we get to this at this question of, let me go through the process uh, real quick of just lay out the bullet points of how church discipline works in, in a church context. Okay, Like we said, first of all, it's one-on-one rebuke. Stop, please. Then it's two-on-one or three-on-one. Then after a lot of prayer and consideration and time, then the elders of the church get involved. They beg. There's a lot of time that happens between there, a lot of pleading that happens between there. But if there's a blatant refusal on the part of that person, the next step is, is keeping them from the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a declaration of what Christ has done, right, to save us from our sin. And if you're still living in that sin, God says you can't come and take the Lord's Supper. Right, that's spelled out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then the final step is excommunication. is saying, as best we can tell, you are not a Christian because your refusal to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Okay? So that again, one-on-one, two-on-one, uh, elders get involved, banning from the Lord's Supper, and then finally excommunication. This process takes a long time. And I hope you see how throughout the whole process the goal is restoration. It's patient and loving and kind the entire time, but it's serious about the poison of sin that they're drinking in their life. All right? Final point. The goal or the blessing of church discipline is to, again, 
lead them to change. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, six, chapter 2, verse 6, uh, we get the, the follow-up of this situation. And this is what Paul says. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive him and comfort him so that he may not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. What had happened in the Corinthian church is they went to the other side. They traded one ditch for the other. You know, it's human nature. And what happened is they were, they were tolerating, and then they shunned him, and when he repented, they didn't bring him back into loving fellowship. And so Paul writes to him again and says, No, he repented. He's your brother now. Treat him like your brother. Okay? Extend to him the mercy. I don't know if you've ever seen this process worked out before. Um, I've seen it a few times. It is a painful process. It is a painful process to watch the leaders of the church have to kind of go through this process. It's painful whenever the person won't repent. I've seen that. But it's beautiful when they do. You really do get a picture um, of the glory of God in the kingdom. So the question is, do you love people enough to tell them about their sin? Do you love them enough to compel them to stop. Church discipline is a process of bringing someone back into relational harmony with God and with the church. Confronting someone about their sin oftentimes will lead to a closer relationship with them because they know that you love them potentially greater than anyone else in the world, so much so that you are willing to risk the relationship itself. Jesus Christ did this. I know Foster says this all the time. Sometimes grace has blood on it. And Jesus loved us enough not to leave us in our sin. Y'all remember one of his first sermons? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he gave us the ability to do that through the crucifixion, the resurrection, the fact that God has given us his spirit. We have the tools, even though they're hard to use sometimes, to be a loving community of faith. And our job is to love each other enough even to tell them, our friends, when they sin. I hope you love me enough, even as a, even as a pastor, to tell me when I'm in sin and to bring me back into fellowship with you and the church. This is our job. It's painful. It's a job of leadership, but it's beautiful. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us uh, as people to love you enough and to love people enough to tell them the truth. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that has never experienced the love of Jesus Christ in a personal way, uh, that you would um, show them that you love them enough to call out their sin and to provide a way to Jesus Christ through faith. And I pray, God, that if for all of us as a church that you would help us to, as leaders and as just regular folks, to love each other enough to plead in a humble and private way to turn back to you that the church would sing and that the harmony would be beautiful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.